Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Much like the evil residents of the town in Footloose, Arsenal ensured that Gary Neville couldn't do any dancing. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmat Podcast. My name is Elliot Billy the Bachman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Stumbled through that one, but it's 6.37 a.m., so I'm allowed. Did you ever see the movie Footloose? No, because you're not 80 years old. But I did, and the plot of the movie Footloose, I think they've actually remade Footloose by now, so it is basically there's this town that where adults have ruled out dancing, but the kids just have to dance. They got the music in them. They just got to dance. And similar to Gary Neville, who just had to dance with the Brentford fans at the start of last season, Arsenal, like the evil people in the town of Footloose said, you will not be dancing because we are going to crush the hopes and dreams of the Brentford faithful. We did that with ruthless efficiency. How ruthless? Well, by the end of the game, we were able to bring on a player who is younger than my cats. That is a true story. I have two cats. They are brothers. They are 18. The player we brought on, Nguyenieri, 15. 15 years old. We will get to that, but there's so much more to get to. And I just want to say thank you for being here. Sorry we were not able to put the podcast out uh, at the usual time. As you know, there were some things going on in the UK that both uh, timing-wise and other reasons-wise, we were not able to get one out, but we are here for you now. And oh, by the way, there's plenty of time. Look, you listened to the Arscast yesterday. I listened to the Arscast yesterday. So now we can just say what they said, but in our voices. So it's really a win for everybody. And here to do that with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. I was quite mesmerized by that opening, to be fair. That was, it's almost like you're a professional. I, I mean, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm a third of the way through my coffee. So if you thought that was good <laughs> and fast, I mean, just just wait till I make it the two thirds through the rest of it. The uh, The interesting thing, Phil, is that I've gotten a lot of messages recently from people saying, hey, respect your guests, take a breath, say their Twitter handle slowly, say their name slowly so we can understand them. I don't know how to do it. I, I, I do yours so fast, I'm not even sure what it is. It is underscore Phil Costa. Okay, right? That's it. That's it. That's, That's it. it. And if you don't know Clive's yet, it's Clive P A F C. That's it. But you don't need to know that. You don't need to go to Twitter to get their opinions. You can get their opinions right here. Phil, I'm going to give you dealer's choice since you're the guest. And I'm going to start with you on what I think was a sensational day at Brentford. I think the best way I can sum this up, you know, we've, we've had this weird start to the season. Football's back. And then it wasn't. And now it's not again. And so I think going into the Brentford game, I had that little nervousness, that worry in the back of my mind, like, is this a mirage? This is not a mirage. It is not a mirage. This is who we are this season. Everything we think we were to start the season, we looked all that and more against Brentford. And I think the best example of how that's true is, the lineup. Phil, when you saw that there was no Odegaard, that there was no Zinchenko, that Vieira was getting his Premier League debut, 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 and that Tierney was starting, did you have concerns? Did you feel that we would be able to 
continue to play how we were. What was your reaction to that news and and the news of, uh, in particular, Vieira getting the start? Um, to be fair, I kind of made peace with a couple of injuries because that Zinchenko news came out during the week. Um, and we'd kind of seen already that Erdegaard maybe was nursed through the United game a bit um, after picking up that ankle injury. So in my head, I'd kind of made the changes already um, and made some peace with them. But this is why we have these players. This is why we have the squad and it's for them to come in and play well and and help us to win games when those other players are not available. Um, so <laughs> yep. it was just kind of another day at the office for me. And I was quite excited, to be fair, because we'd seen glimpses of Fabio Vieira against Zurich. Um, we Obviously, we know what Kieran Tierney is all about. But I thought, you know, it's a, it was already a test for the team to go away to, to Brentford, who, you know, um, are not pushovers should we say they're physical they like to run the channels they're they're, they're strong in the center um and it was just kind of you know let's see what we're up uh, up against and see what we're made of and I think that 90 minutes just really uh filled me with a lot of confidence on top of what has already been a really promising season yeah yeah and and the fact is Brentford not only have the ability to be very pressy right to press you which you could say would be a challenge that we want to see how we handle. They have the ability to hit you on the counter. They did it to United. I mean, 4-0, let's never, ever forget that they beat United 4-0 to my cackling laughter. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is a good challenge to say, can we go away to a team that we we should beat, but that can certainly take points off top teams and play our football and be effective in doing it? And we clearly were in Clive. We saw this right from the start. Within just a few minutes of the start, I think we had our best move of the game. Loads of passes exchanged effortlessly, first time. Players having that sort of natural understanding of where they're going to be. It ends with Martinelli turning a pass around the corner to Shaka in behind. Shaka's in. He can shoot if he wants to. He gives a pullback to Martinelli. Martinelli loses his footing, doesn't get the shot off. And in old times, you might have said, well, there goes the one good chance we're going to have in the game. That would not prove to be the case here. But I think in that move, we saw everything that we're going to really be talking about throughout this game. The spacing, the understanding between players, the scintillating form of one Granite Shaka, and just our ability to play our way through a Brentford team that didn't have any answer for our passing game. Yeah, I thought it was... Um, when you start a game, you sort of... Um, you want to send a message out. Normally, the sort of message you, you want to be aggressive, you want to get some territory... And then once you got your territory, you want to try to control possession. And every team tries to say, we're going to impose our game on you. Every coach says the same thing, right? So so how did we do it? Well, we just we just pass them off the pitch straight away. Go, We go long into their corner. And then we go from there. We get the ball. We pass off the pitch. Then we need to get it back. We pass it again. We shift positions. And to me, when I've, I've already rewatched it again, and... I will taking, say taking Paul's role while he's he's jetting off. Yeah, well, I, I was so excited to rewatch it because I thought it'd be really really exciting. I'll be honest with you, it it was just clinical. It wasn't exciting. Mm-hmm. It was just really really clinical. And if you like your patterns and you like football that level of detail, you're going to love it, right? Um, but I thought we psychologically crushed them with how we played. We made them think about themselves by keeping the ball so effortlessly. 
as a group, as a unit, everybody hungry for the ball, everybody moving it, turning on it, turning in, turning out, lots of lots of lovely turning circles on the pitch, and people really knowing where everyone is. And I tell you now, when you're the opposition and you see that, you look up and you think, crikey, they're betting us. And you stand still. So everyone's criticising Brentford for being passive today. That's the psychological aspect of having total control of the football, what it does to an opposition. When you see the ball fizzing around you, you know what you do? You stand still. You hold your distances. You stay in shape. And that's what they did. And they had to go along and try to get bits and pieces of us. Well, we got a couple of defenders don't mind running back in the channels. Right? So... Good luck, right? So uh, I thought it was a masterclass of imposing yourself on a decent opposition and forcing them into areas that we wanted them to be or comfortable of them to be away from our goal. And then we held that control and really got the ball back from them when we wanted to. From a football standpoint, that's really good. Really good. Yep. You know, Opposition-wise, you can debate if that's the top, top, top opposition, but football-wise, perfection. Yeah, I I agree. And I think this felt very Man City because you can dominate a game. I mean, Chelsea, I think, are are one of the teams that have among the highest possession rates in the Premier League, but they're not effective, really, or dangerous with that possession to the extent that I'm sure that Thomas Tuchel would have liked them to be. Uh, And and I'm sure Potter will, will ultimately want them to be. This was not pointless possession this was possession with intent and you could see the cracks forming in Brentford there's a there's a stat that Scott puts out after the match a lot uh field tilt and I like it because it it seeks to not just talk about possession but final third possession in particular and in that first half we had about 85 percent of field tilt meaning of all the final third touches that happened in that half we had 85 percent of them So that's not just possessing it. That's saying we're going to be near your goal and you're not going to be near our goal. And then that's borne out by the fact that Brentford had two shots in the first half, five shots in the game. So this was both control and effective dominant control. I think what's interesting though, Phil, is there's a a thing that, that I certainly do sometimes, which is, well, I know how we play now and this is just how Arsenal play and we just play this way. But I think that that does Arteta a disservice to the level of coaching that was done in this game for this game in particular. He had two weeks to prepare. By the way, Brentford, Frank is a great manager too. They had two weeks to prepare. We had a game plan that seemed a little bit different and suited because they want to play that 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, depending on what you want to call it. They want to clog up the middle, right? Take the ball from you and, and turn you around. I think we varied a little bit in the way we used Tierney and White. To, to really get out to the edges where they didn't have numbers and use that to progress the ball and push them back. So do you have any thoughts just on that little variation on a theme now that we're so good within our core form that we were able to vary this a little for this game plan or am I sort of seeing ghosts there? Did that not, did that not actually happen? <laughs> well, inter- interestingly, Brentford have kind of moved away from that formation this season. Um, they've often gone with a 4-3-3, which is not how they kind of built themselves under Thomas Frank. So Mm. the fact that they reverted back to what they know um, is a sign that teams are thinking about Arsenal and they're worried about Arsenal. And that says more to me than the Premier League table at the moment. It shows that people are worried about us coming to their stadiums and, and passing them off the pitch. And for me, 
they still tried to clog up the middle. They still tried to hit the channels. There were a couple of times early on with uh, with Tony going out to the left and Mbomo going out to the right. But you mentioned it before, the distances, we had them and they didn't. And it's mm-hmm. it's pretty much that simple. And that is, I, I don't want to underestimate the role that Thomas Partey played in this game because I think having him there as the central hub just gives everybody this kind of comfort and confidence that they can play. Um, and I'm a big fan of Sambi. Uh, I think he's maybe a little bit misunderstood for that sixth position at the moment, but you see the difference and it's not a yeah. slight on him. This Thomas Partey is, you know, an experienced midfielder, Champions League, big games. He's won a title. Oh, he was involved in a title winning side. Um, and I thought him being there gave everybody the platform to to kind of strut their stuff. And what I also liked is how we've become a much more balanced side because in the past I felt us either have a right-sided bias or a left-sided bias, particularly when we play with Zinchenko. I feel like there's a strong left-sided bias. Mm-hmm. And for me, this game, it was kind of illustrated perfectly how we have Ben White and Saka involved. We have Kieran Tierney and Martinelli involved. And it's it just makes us more unpredictable, more threatening from all over. Fabio Vieira coming into the side, knitting things nicely in a kind of free role. And I just think, you know, this was a game for past maps. This was a game for distances, knowing your role. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's really, really good. And you can see what Arteta is putting into these players because... It's a really, we've said it a lot already this year, but automatisms, you see them week on week. You really see it. Um, and it's a, it's a pleasure to watch and, a, you know, chapeau to, to the coaching staff. Yeah. And Thomas Frank, by the way, full of praise for Arsenal uh, in his post-match comments. And this is, this is not a coach that I think you just dismiss. He had a lot of comments. Obviously, he was purring about Saliba. You've probably seen those videos going around on social media talking about how he's going to be a regular French international defender, purring about Martinelli and Saka um, and the improvement they've made and and just about the system in general. And I think the plaudits are are deserved because we're, we just – you know what word came to mind for me is competent. We're just a very competent – professional side now. And what I mean by that is like, we don't concede silly set piece goals. We don't waste set piece opportunities with like a short corner that then gets just kicked, kicked for a, a goal kick you know, over, over the bar or something. We don't, we don't um, foul a player and then switch off on the restart and get found out. Like we, we have a professionalism about the way we go about what we're doing. The players not only know where they're going to be and fill their spots. I mean, no one better than Granite Shaka in terms of on one end of the pitch, He's taking a through ball from Martinelli into the six-yard box. On the other end of the pitch, he's making the final challenge to stop a, a potential dangerous chance. And the players all seem to be buying into that ethic. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And just to show you how brilliant the the computer-like brain of Clive Palmer is when it comes to an, analyzing football, on the instant reaction, Clive made an observation just that popped right into his head from watching the game and then Scott actually used that observation as a basis stat for his by-the-numbers column because it was so spot-on. And your point, Clyde, was just the interchange of the forwards, of Saka, of Jesus, of Vieira, of Martinelli. And Scott dove into the data, and the most touches was Jesus with 59. And the fewest touches was Martinelli with 50, right? Between 
all four of those players, there was only nine touches of difference. Sometimes you'll see a game where like Martinelli has 70 and Saka has 20 or the center forward hardly has any or the center forward's dropping deep and has 70 touches, but the wingers don't have any. Clive, in this game, all of the forward players were involved in a similar way. And you talk about exactly what you want as a coach. It's very hard to defend a team that can go to any area of their forward line and find success. And we did that all game long. Almost any area of the pitch, actually. I mean, I was a yeah, sort of player yeah, when right. I played, you had to hide me when you had the ball because I didn't want it. I was more the guy that wants to get it back, right? You're not hiding you're anybody. A difficult man to hide. I have a hard time seeing that. You didn't, you didn't want me on the ball with lots of time to think, right? But these players all want the ball, they all show for the ball. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was quite clear to me there was more rotation going on. And maybe because I was looking at Vieira and how he'd be played, and I thought he was a little bit quiet. And I saw him standing outside. I've always wanted to see Saka in the 10. I thought, oh, he's in the 10. Great. He's in the 10. Let's see what he can do. He started to penetrate. Then he flipped back out to the outside. Then Jesus went left. Martinelli went centre forward. I'm looking at this thing. I'm thinking, hold on. This is something that we're doing more regular now. So we all know what our passing maps look like. We all know how we play. We all know about our base pod, left pod, right pod, centre forward that rolls from side to side. We know all this stuff now. We've seen it for six months or so. But what we haven't seen so much is the, the rotation within the structure. And that's growing. Shaq has obviously added to it. Tierney's added to it in this game. Sinchenko's just a joke, right? Where he's going to go, everyone else has to roll mm. around. And so you've got more and more people comfortable in more and more areas. So people are looking at Ben White and say, he's playing fullback. Well, he's just everywhere on that right-hand side. So you have an area to cover, to dominate. The, the back two defenders are big space defenders. They have a big territory from which to cover, which is fine because they're suited for it. You know, they're 6-3, 6-4, good, strong runners that drop early, apart from OT, when there's no pressure on the ball. And then, and they and they cover things. They cover the bases. When they need to get tight, they get tight and they grab, they grab the ball high up. And so you look at this team, you're seeing a t- 11 people. And, and I, I always, I, I repeat this a lot. I never heard it until Arteta said it. But he sort of mentioned, I want to get the team playing with one brain. Well, if you want to see a one brain game, this was it. You know, everybody mm-hmm. on the same on the same level, the same technical level, the same intelligence level, and I love how they recognise the stress of each other, and then either drop in to receive or stretch the game when they needed to be stretched. So uh, when the clip goes down the line, the clip doesn't look stupid because the player's already gone because he knows that player. The amount of times Kieran Tierney clipped it long, but Jesus ran into that left hand channel, knowing what was happening and. That means you've got to start off a team. And so what we're doing as a group of fans, we're wondering, because we're all nervous kittens, right? So we're wondering how sustainable this is. When you start to look at this, you know what? This is quite sustainable. This is quite repeatable, whether we have the ball or don't. How we regain possession is repeatable. I'm looking at all the barriers to success. Energy and health could be could be a couple. Um, but structure how we play, our roles, the rotation is becoming a huge plus point and a big step on from um, last season. And one last thing I will say, our distances are smaller. I think, our again, me and Scott had a chat about this, so you checked it out. 
our passing distances in the final third have decreased, which means we are more compact, which means when we lose the ball, we can get it back quicker. I'm not into the PPDA as much as you are, Elliot, but <laughs> I'm sure that's in, I'm sure we're in a better shape that way. And I find myself, I do find myself doing this, going towards data. And I think this is why Thomas Frank in the pre-game con- uh, press conference was so complimentary because he's got the same sheets of data telling him that Arsenal statistically are very, very good and in patches are better than Man City this season. And so if he's got that data, all the other coaches got that data. So back to Phil's point, I think teams are having to adjust to us now for the first time. And this is part of the project now, the evolution. When teams adjust, do we change again and then change different players when teams are absolutely in their box. Yeah, uh, well said. I should say I I will be married 10 years next year, and you have to keep it spicy. You have to keep it flowing. And so I'm not ashamed to say I'm into the PPDA. You know, my my wife and I do what we have to to keep the marriage going, and it's just how you should live, people. I'm just saying. Um, Phil, one thing that I'd I'd like to stop for a second and just get to, but we're going to get to all the goals. We're going to get to the star performances. But I just want to talk about a squad, a side sort of squad building point here. I think where we are now also really shows why we yell and scream and get worked up about squad building decisions. Because on this day, when the starting left back wasn't available, we weren't saying, should we move Sack at a wing back or should we move Shaq at a left back? We brought in the guy who had previously been the starter at left back and is quite good himself and starred on a day when maybe the star of our season last season, at sometimes our right back, wasn't picked, we have a player who can start there who's keeping him out of the squad, who was expensively acquired last summer, oh, by the way. The guy who's starting at center back in his place is a star himself who was expensively acquired as a young man and allowed to flourish on loan, which is something I really supported and always believed in and never said anything negative about. Um, when maybe one of the players of the season in the Premier League, Martin Odegaard, is unavailable, a guy we expensively acquired who someday wants to say to Martin Odegaard, you better watch your back, buddy. I'm coming for your place, steps in. And the reason I bring this up is, for a long time, we we talked ourselves into the idea that, well, Pablo Marie's a fine buy. He's cheap. He can be a backup. Cedric was free. He can be a backup. Willian was free. Oh, he's a big wage. But you know what? He He's there to just add. And, and now you see what smart squad building decisions do. What do they do? They allow you to look like the same team when you take out key players because your backups aren't backups. They're the guys who used to be starters or they're the guys who were coming for the starters and saying, I can take your place. They're not El Nenny. They're not Cedric. They're, you know, with all the, the goodwill in the world to those players, they're not Pablo Murray. They're not Willian. So are, are we starting to really see why those decisions had to be moved away from and now bearing fruit from having made better decisions on a day when our left back, our right back, our number 10, you know, are all players who, and, and our center back to some extent, are all players who wouldn't have necessarily been considered starters in those positions just a few weeks back or a few months back. I mean, aside from the obvious wage bill concerns and and, and age curve concerns, the whole point of building with young players is that they are, one, competitive and two, malleable. Um, and those players that you listed before, they're just, you know, I don't want to generalize because we've seen, you know, the firsthand with Granite Xhaka this season that older players can add things to their game. But that's often the exception, not the rule. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, it's why I don't understand the player wars within the Arsenal <laughs> fan base because 
you need a good squad and that doesn't stop at 11. If you want to be one of the best squads in Europe competing for things, European trophies, league titles, you need 15, 16, 17 good players. And I don't understand, and I understand Twitter is a very uh, ridiculous echo chamber at times with you know a lot of crazy opinions, but I don't understand why every two weeks there's there's a referendum on on a player. Like Smith Rowe, he's injured. We should have accepted the the money from Villa. Tierney, we're moving past him. You know, we, we we need to get him gone. We need these players, and that's the whole point of having them there so they can come in and perform. Fabio Vieira, he was a thirty million pound signing. Yeah. Um <laughs> yep. and because he was injured and you know, he didn't quite make it into the team for the early stages of the season. People forgot. Um, and now he's coming in and, you know, everyone's amazed by how he's kind of settling in. People were happy with him at Zurich, played really well again on, on the weekend. But this is no shock. This is no surprise. We're signing good players, young players who have a point to prove, who are learning under a coach, who are malleable in their in their sort of physicality and their technical quality. And that's what we're doing. That's the project. We've we've tried other stuff before. We tried the the quick win, get the Mikatarians in, get the Williams in, get, you know, and it doesn't work. So now it was always going to be a bumpy road with this kind of structure. There was going to be some wage bill issues to correct. You know, we don't need to relive that stuff. But just on so many levels, uh, this just makes more sense. And we're seeing it now. This is a young group that can grow together, that needs to experience things together. And I, I just think with each passing week, you can, see, you can see how natural things are becoming. There's a natural chemistry with these guys. And more importantly, I see friendships. And, you know, for me, that can only help on-field relationships. And I, I'm just so happy that we're finally seeing the fruits of our labor because it wasn't easy. This wasn't an easy decision to make for Edu and Arteta, but they stuck with it and they've been consistent throughout with their communication and the decision-making. And for me now, it's kind of the fruits of our labor being shown up. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think that the critical difference is if you have a team full of players that have been acquired with the idea that they could go out and make a position their own, both that competition and that talent level will float all boats, right? It will it will be the rising tide that lifts all boats, and that's what's going on at Arsenal right now. Clive, let's uh, let's get into some of the goals before we get into some of the star performances, and there were quite a few of them. But the first goal, again, this is to my point about professionalism and competence. Quietly, we are one of the best set piece teams in the league. I I can think back to years when Arsenal played some great football, but we conceded stupid set piece goals. We, we weren't standing in the right place on a throw-in. We would foul a player and switch off, and teams would be you know, in, in our penalty area And the next time you looked up. That's not happening anymore. Our set pieces are great. Bukayo Saka delivers a perfect ball. And while I think Saliba... We know this near-post approach is one of, the, one of the tricks we use, and I think that's supposed to be sort of a flick onto the back post, maybe to Jesus, who's offside, to be fair. But it turns into... A situation where you know you buy a ticket, you can win the lottery. It's a lovely header. It finds the far post. It's in, and I just think 
This is one of those incremental improvements that good coaching can make. If you're better at set pieces, it's free goals. And we have scored quite a few of those free goals now in the season. So how happy are you for William Saliba there? And just the impressiveness of our our improvement in a very important and easily coached area of the game. Yeah, it shows a level of improvement in William Saliba because when he first signed for us a couple of years Couldn't ago, or maybe ball. three years ago, <laughs> mate, he was heading the ball like a turtle. He was, his neck was disappearing, <laughs> and um, and basically, I'm thinking we got a major I've issue never seen here. A turtle had a football club, <laughs> not once ever. So I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> people know what I'm talking about, though. He literally the ball. He go up to a ball. He just just, just disappear. His head disappeared to his shoulders, and um, and so this is a problem. Phil knows what I'm talking about because he watched those early videos as well. And this was a worry. And so sort of things he's learned while he's been away on loan. When he first came in on the early season set pieces, I'm looking at him thinking, what are they going to do with him? They chucked him on the goalkeeper to block out the light on occasions, but they weren't having him attacking the first contact. That means he's grown in that aspect, right? So you're always looking for first contact in the box or second contact. That's what, But so are the opposition, by the way. And um, some of our defending, our defending set pieces, I thought, was superb in this game. Going for the first mm-hmm. contact, but the second ball sharpness, in particular for Martinelli and Kieran Tierney, was excellent. Right, so, so and they're again, good at that no, too. So yeah, oh, well they're, they're so sharp. They're so sharp, and it is to if you do lose the first ball, you need people not sleeping, thinking, "Well, I'm not involved in this. We're going to win it." You need people thinking, "Worst case scenario, we haven't going to win it. I need to be sharp on my toes to either block or help it on second phase." Right, so. Mm-hmm. When I look at this, it's, it's all it's all great. Right? We all know the first goals are so important. If you get them from a set piece, I call them free goals. If you get a set piece, free goal, great. You're off and running. You can hold the story of the game. But for me, it's just a measure of our, our, how prepared we look. So as a fan, we we can look at the patterns and think, oh, that, is that coached or is it not? Is it instinct? We can debate that, right? We can debate if we want to. Um, but you can't debate level of practice required to get set pieces that accurate and people know what they're doing. And so you can use that as a measure to say, this team is prepared. So again, as a fan, we want to see very basic fundamental things. We want to look like we're prepared. We'll look like we know what we're doing against a certain opposition. Generally, we want to see us work a little bit harder than the other opposition. We generally want to see that. And we don't mind seeing goals going in the net. We're quite basic, really. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and really, the other stuff that we get into is a little bit, is a little bit deeper. But let's be honest, without those fundamentals, that you winning your duels, your contests, working people either with the ball or without it, and looking prepared, like you understand where to stand versus a certain opposition. You understand what you want to do. You can impose your game on people. That's the game. The ability to repeat it consistently is the challenge. The ability to repeat it when you have people out is another challenge. And we're, we're overcoming this alongside one other aspect I want to say. And, and I think it was I think it was huge in this game. And it's one one thing I really wanted to see this season, but it wasn't difficult to pinpoint it really. We got the youngest team in the league last year. We looked like the youngest team in the league when it came to the crunch last season. But we looked more mature very, very quickly in this game. We look like a bunch of adults walking around, you know, taking our time where we needed to, calm composure. And so one aspect I think this team has really got is I think they're quick learners because against Manchester United, I thought we were immature. We sensed the fact we were really doing quite well. We got overexcited and we didn't quite play the game. 
We didn't like play especially it out. Especially after we it. equalized. Especially as soon after as we equalized. equalized. As soon as we equalized, yeah. it went. It all went. Everyone yeah. blamed the substitutions. Trust me, Elliot, you know my thoughts on this. We no, watched we it together. We rewatched it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so it was maturity, it was composure. It, we were too outcome based before we actually did it and forgot the yep. fundamentals of the game. And in this game, we at no point did we lose our fundamentals. We didn't. They were strong. They were calm. They were composed. And we probably left a goal out on the pitch because Jesus deserved another one for me. That should have been a 4 0 smashing. But 3 0, I'm pretty comfortable with. Yeah, I, I will take it. And it was, it was, there was so much to enjoy here. I have, I have, I, I tried to make some notes of things that I want to make sure we get to that were positive. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, that's going to be a three and a half hour podcast. Uh, we will definitely be rewatching this game over on the Patreon side, by the way. And, and it may need to be both halves. So we will definitely see about that. Let's, um, let's get to the second goal, though, Phil. I, I want to get to all the goals because I, sometimes I think, the goals are actually the aside. It's how you played. But there's some things in the goals. Well, all right. So the second goal is really a, a crowning achievement for two players who deserve a lot of credit. One who gets it and one who is increasingly getting it. And it leads us into a big talking point today. And that's Granite Shaka with his assist to Gabriel Jesus. Now, I want to set the Shaka thing aside for one second because I do want to say this. There's very, very few strikers in the world that score that goal. The header, he has to generate all the power, but it's not the header. It's the instant movement. To be willing to gamble on that pass, finding that position, finding the space in front of the keeper and behind the defenders, to be willing to be able to instantly accelerate and get there. When that ball is released, he's not moving. He's onside. By the time the ball gets there, he's gained a yard on the defenders and he's in space. This is the stuff that the great center forwards do. And... I think as fans, we have always undervalued movement because we value what people do on the ball. And it's very hard in football, especially when you don't have like a, a stadium seat to see off the ball stuff. Sometimes not even on camera, right? What Jesus does off the ball is maybe the most elite thing of his game, more than the winning 50-50s or 60-40s or 70-30s, maybe more than the shooting, the heading, the the recovery in, in his pressing game. So I do want to praise Jesus for that. But Phil... One minute into the game, Granite Shack is at the edge of the penalty area playing one-twos with Martinelli. The next minute, he's stopping their one decent chance defensively. Then he's playing in the pass of the game, one of the passes of the season for a goal. He creates three chances in this game, two big chances, and still has time to do all the other stuff we expect him to do. This was a virtuoso performance from a player who is getting better and adding strings to his bow at a part of his career where we don't, see that. And rightfully, a lot of the post-match writing and post-match interviews and post-match comments were about him. James Benj did a wonderful article on him for CBS um, with some quotes from an interview he did with him. Shaka talking about how he's coaching Nguyenary, right? That he's doing some of the under-16 coaching and getting his coaching badges. But the thing that I loved, because I always wondered about this, he was getting the adulation from the fans, from the away fans. They were singing his name. And in these interviews, he said, I wanted that. I always wanted that. I never thought I'd have it again. What happened before hurt me. I, I wanted that, and to get it was very emotional. I'm so happy for him and for us as fans that the journey has taken us to a place where we don't have to be petty, where, where we can be wholeheartedly embracing what he has become and what he is doing for us. And And... and there's no need for revisionism. If you weren't on board with him before, and I will raise my hand and say I wasn't, 
I can certainly see the arguments for that. And that doesn't stop me from being so impressed and excited about what he's doing now. And he is getting the kind of reward that a footballer deserves when they when they put in the work and improve. I know this is a long rambling section for me, but to be fair, you know, you got to maintain the brand, keep the brand strong. But, but Phil, I, I'll give you sort of a free swim here. His play has driven a response that I don't think anyone would have seen either of those things just, you know, six, eight months ago. Yeah, I think um, he's been incredible this season. And I think he's probably been one of our better players for the last year, um, if not a bit longer. Mm -hmm. I think what he's managed to do, and it's been subtle. I don't think it's been one drastic change. I just think he's showing what a complete footballer he he is now. Um, and for me, the issue with Xhaka was was never his kind of attitude or his professionalism. The issue for me with Shaka was his response to stress. Um, and too often in the latter stages under Arsene Wenger, throughout most of the time under Unai Emery, this was a team without structure, uh, without character, without stability. And that is the exact environment that Granit Xhaka does not thrive in. It's a good point. Um, and I think I think you see now we have a settled squad. Everyone's on board. There doesn't seem to be any egos. This is a very selfless, hardworking team. And it's just the exact opposite to what he's had to work in previously. And I think what happened that day at Crystal Palace, I was actually in against Crystal Palace. I was actually there in the stadium. Um, and you could feel the kind of toxicity. Um, and it wasn't just that incident. It was what had been happening for the last few years, just bubbling up into that single moment. And it would have been very easy. I mean, we've spoken about this before. It would have been very easy for him to just jet off to Berlin, head to Berlin in that January. I don't want any of this. I'm done. Um, but for me, Jack has always been an open book. I think he's always been willing to speak to fans. He's always been willing to explain himself. Yeah. He's never been shy to take responsibility. And I think slowly fans have, have come to appreciate that. He never hides. There was a some time where he maybe didn't want the armband for obvious reasons, but I never see him hide on a football pitch or uh, in the media or, you know, um, on the training ground. We saw it in the Amazon documentary. He's very present, vocal, and he cares about a lot about this club. And for me, a lot of people had drawn a line under under that, situation that 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 day that moment but that recognition you could see what it meant to him in what yeah. he said um was emotional yeah and he was emotional and i think he deserves it because martin odegaard is is the technical captain the technical leader of this team but for me chaka is the captain of arsenal football club yeah um even even though he doesn't wear the armband. And I think that well, moment did, at the did. end of the game, <laughs> well, he did on, on Sunday, yes. Um, but for me, that moment of the fans singing his name in adulation, in recognition, I think it was just a, a moment between two parties, um, one that, that just shows the general direction of travel, the positivity, um, the feeling around this club that everybody has kind of bought into. Uh, and I really think he deserves it because he's been excellent. I really did not see this in his game. Um, yeah. 
We're seeing scanning. We're seeing passes with the right foot. We're seeing runs into the opposition box. It's just incredible what he's managed to do in such a short space of time, like you said, in this moment of his career. And I think it's just, um, it's, it's obviously what he's done personally, but it's also a bigger symbol of what's happening around us and the football club. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, to win over the away fans is something, right? Because the And I don't want to stereotype or generalize a, a whole group of fans of which I'm not a part, so I'm going to do that now. Um, <laughs> but, like, the away fans will tell you if they're mad at you. You know what I mean? The away fans are, have, have not been shy about voicing harsh opinions when you win them over, you know that, that I think that's a, a real accomplishment as well. Um, they're not a soft touch, and and he has, and he's deserved it. And this is the thing, because I, I want to speak to people that feel conflicted. Don't feel conflicted. Like if you had a positive opinion about Shaka the whole way through, great. If you didn't, also great. Like this is one of the things I've never understood in football. There's this idea of like, you know, well, if you didn't like him before, you can't like him now. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. If you thought the player was flawed or problematic or had issues or didn't like what happened in the past, you're entitled to that. Just as you're entitled to to celebrate and recognize the work he's put in, the commitment he's shown, the quality he's improved, and the contribution he's making. And it's absolutely effing brilliant. And I'm so glad for it. And Clive, it's it's not this isn't just about psychology. See, Shaka, I think, is an interesting guy. His football brain is exceptional, but his football emotions sometimes get the better of it. Right, he picks up a silly yellow card in this game. To be fair, I mean, now some might say not silly. Maybe he was stopping a counter. We don't know. Hard to see from a TV camera. We would need Tim to tell us. But, but there are moments in this game that impress me more than the mentality. It's the one-two he plays with Martinelli in the box. It's the how about this one? The ball comes to him at the top of the box, and he's on the stretch. He collects it and still has the time to stab it with the same foot. I think it's his right foot collect, right foot stab, through to Gabriel Jesus for a big chance one-on-one with the keeper. That edge of the box, one-two. I mean, we talked all summer, left eight is a space we can still go up a level. And maybe it is. Oh, by the way, the guy's 30. He's not going to be at this level forever. But he has made that position a non-talking point through his performances. And so maybe even more than mentality and emotion, what's really important here is quality. And, and, Arteta has found a way to get his football brain to be the, the focus rather than his football emotions. And I think that that has, that has made a big difference on the pitch for us, Clive. Yeah, so I think, for me, I think he's a he's a coach's dream. And because of that, he's suffered because of it. Because I think some coaches have asked him to do things, maybe too many things, that has really got him to a point of stress feel. Do you know what I mean? And he's looked like a stressed footballer because he's ha- been asked to do too many things. I've called him Red Adair before. He had too many fires to put out. Too many fires to put out that his body can't deal with. And funny enough, since Thomas Partey's rolled into the midfield and he's putting out his fires in his own way, Granit Xhaka's role could change. And, and I remember when when uh, Partey first came in, uh, I think Partey had 50 touches first game. I think Granit had about 90 and we're thinking, this ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. This is not going to work. I'm not, well, it's far more even now. And his role has changed. He's now got different things to think about. His, his responsibilities have changed. And at the weekend, I mean, it's part of his first game back. But towards around the hour mark, he started to lag. And who was getting back in the box to clear it out things? It's Granite Shaka, right? Yep. And that's when yep. the and that's when the substitute gets warmed up because his party is coming off because he's reached his limit. But who recognised it? Shaka recognised it. He is a, he is a coach's dream. 
Um, I think it's it's more how we're using him and how we're partnering him within the midfield, which has really defined him. How we're putting what's on the outside of him. When the left-back pushes on, he drops in, but he's not exposed at left-back for a long time, getting sent off. I mean, it's just dumb stuff, really, when you think about it. He has skill sets, but being last man in wide areas is not one of them. Do you know what I mean? Continuously, because eventually you're going to get picked off. You know, so I think it's partly to do with the fact he's just, he's always available and he's always got, I'll, I'll do that job. I'll do that job. And that has caused him issues in wide spaces that we can't miss. Arriving late in the box, giving away penalties on big games. We can't miss or forget that. Right? So, but now he's cocooned all around him, a role with other people with like minds, and he looks a lot better for it. And um, I, you know, generally, I've been fairly supportive of Granit Xhaka because I just think he's a glue-like player for us and very influential. But there have been times when I've been angry on some of the outcomes, right? Like most of most people listening. It doesn't mean we don't appreciate him. And I did see the bit of the weekend when he was emotional and I thought, you know what, mate? You de- you deserve that. And I tell you, we all hope we're gonna get we're gonna get somewhere in the season, hopefully we're playing a different European composition next year, minimum. And if there's anybody deserves it in that club, it's him. It's him to come through those rocky phases, be part of them for some people, be the reason why we are not in the top competition. And if he stays around and gets us that top competition, mate, he deserves it as much as anybody else in the club. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Again, I, I don't think it can be overstated that he isn't just gutting his way to being important or blood and thundering his way to being important. He's playing well. He's playing better than he ever has. He's playing a role that many of us, myself included, did not think would be his his best position on the pitch. And it has proved to be his best position on the pitch such that he has gone from being an area we might want to upgrade to now the worry being, what would we do if he isn't in that position? It is a testament to his dedication. And I, I think when you look at a player who at times has been asked to play center back at Arsenal, left back at Arsenal, Six in a double pivot, six alone, left eight. You know, this guy, he can he can think his way around a football match. But now, maybe because this, the, the system is so good and so well coached and structured, we're, we're really seeing a level of quality that I think didn't think was there. So with that having been said, we're going to pause. We're going to get to some more uh, great performances. We're going to maybe look ahead even to the Derby a bit and, of course, talk about a 15-year-old who played for Arsenal at the weekend, which is still astonishing to say. But first, I want to tell you about Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is something that I take every day, so much so that I do some Zoom calls for work, and people are like, hey, where's your silly green drink that you usually have? You have that yet? I mean, it's become my thing. I started taking it because of gut health, um, and also because I was relying on coffee too much. I wanted better energy. So for me, it has been about feeling better uh, in my gut. It's been better energy and digestion. The thing about AG1 is that it's 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. It's lifestyle-friendly, so it's keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free. It costs less than the price of an expensive cup of coffee a day and has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. Wipe them off your shelf. Get something that's food-derived that's going to do the job for you. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. 
packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams, and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema, Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. Don't miss a single sweat, so second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time, and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus and the Europa League, because that's actually the one we care about. And some of those teams I listed are probably going to wind up in it. So there you go. Now, I want to tell you about BetterHelp. Okay? Now, word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, is what I'm supposed to say here. Uh, It's really simple. Therapy is about solutions. It's about problem solving. In some instances, it's about solving big problems that we struggle with alone and in isolation. And in some instances, it's just about solving problems that we might think you know, we're not supposed to struggle with or we shouldn't have to work on. You go to the gym, you eat right, or maybe you don't, but you know you should. But the fact of the matter is our brain, our emotions, our our psychology is the most important aspect to being healthy. And we should just normalize getting help. And BetterHelp lets you do that online. You can do it camera on, camera off. You can get paired with an expert in a specific field, something that may not even be available locally. It's cheaper than in-person therapy. You can get paired up with a licensed therapist um, after a brief survey. Right, And you can switch therapists anytime. So it's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. When you want a better problem, when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit, visit betterhelp.com slash arsenalvision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash arsenalvision. I kid you not, I still have two more of these to do. I don't. I think Blue Wire ha- having trouble paying the rent. But, uh, you know what? God bless them. What, what am I going to do? These companies are here. They want me to read them. I'm going to read them. We'll get on to the football stuff in a second. So, uh, indeed, well, we'll save that because we need Clive's little thing. Oh, hey, Manscaped. It's fall. The hair should be the thing falling, not just the leaves, right? You got to shave your privates. This is all the witty stuff they say. You're going to go to manscaped.com and enter promo code ArsenalVision for 20% off and free shipping. Look, this one's easy. It's the Lawnmower 4.0, the best purpose-built device for shaving. It works in the shower. It has um, the skin-safe technology right? With uh, ceramic blades. I use it. It's better than using the rusty razor that's been sitting in your shower for ages. After this, I'm going to ask Phil what he uses to shave his privates. We've never asked him that. Um, okay. The, the charger is an induction charger. Just set it in the cradle. It's wet, dry. It's fantastic. And when you order the performance package 4.0, you can get things like the weed whacker for ears and nose hair, the cleansers, the preservers, the toners, um, the amazing, uh, briefs the boxer briefs are great just go to manscaped.com use promo code arsenal vision save 20 percent off and free delivery that's 20 percent off with free delivery at manscaped.com use promo code arsenal vision celebrate a new season of the beautiful game with your newly beautiful balls it says here and i'm supposed to read that in yuck last but not least the most powering powerful hiring partner in the world is indeed you can attract interview and hire all in one place Indeed data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job Something I love about Indeed is Instant Match. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on a job match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Join over 3 million businesses using Indeed worldwide to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms of supply.
Clive Brown, Kitchen Bar, Sinai, Pilper. Need to hire your team! Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Now that, oh boy. Whew. Hey, did I ever mention we do ad free versions on the Patreon? Uh, you know what? Look, we love we love our sponsors because they they just show that our our beautiful, the good ship, Arsenal Vision's growing here. We're all doing it together. So I uh, Clive, it, it it's definitely um we're gonna get to a lot of things with you, but we need to just do a section on how Phil shaves it. No, I'm kidding, we're not gonna do that. Phil. Phil. Yes. This yes. guy, William Saliba. He mm-hmm. is good at the football. The Vieira goal is a beauty. It's a beauty. And I'm so happy for him. And I'm so happy for him so that his best friend Martinelli could celebrate him. It doesn't happen without the silkiest little touch turn ball progression moment from Saliba at the back. He wasn't just playing passes in this game. He was bobbing and weaving. He was going shoulder to shoulder with Ivan Tony like it was nothing. This was virtuoso stuff from Saliba. And I think quietly, maybe not quietly, let's be honest, he's gotten a ton of attention, but I, I think his ascendancy has made this whole thing work because it means Ben White can go play at right back and Gabriel looks so assured because he's got a partner next to him that can take more of the distribution responsibilities. He's been sensational. Love that he gets the goal today, but without the goal, it's still a top drawer performance and that that little move before the Vieira goal is something special. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to forget what a big point he had to prove still coming in, um, because obviously he'd been he'd been at the club for what three years and he'd been away for for all of those all mm-hmm. of those seasons and there was the the constant back and forth over whether Arteta was right, whether Arteta was wrong. There were times where we managed him poorly. There were times when, um, you know, he he had a couple of difficult moments in the under under twenty ones. And then he'd gone to Marseille and played brilliantly. Um, so it was all about, was that just a fluke? How would he translate to English football? Um, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him despite his his young age, his tender years. And he, he just passed that first test at Crystal Palace and he's mm-hmm. gone from strength to strength ever since. And how safe do we feel? <laughs> with him there <laughs> and it's not even a slight on Ben White because I think no maybe unfortunate debut aside he's been probably one of our most consistent performers since he joined the club yep um but what we see now is as well as Gabriel two comfortable Premier League defenders who are big strong and fast and sometimes that's what you need um you can have your ball playing center backs you can have those that just dominate everything in the air, but we've been very lucky um, that we have two of these guys together who seem to be gelling nicely, nice blend of attributes, who can do the dirty stuff, who can pass the ball out. And I think what I loved about Saliba's performance on Sunday was not only his defending, but we saw everything he does. There were times when he was running shoulder to shoulder with Tony boshed off no problem there were times when he needed to head the ball out headed out no problem and his sort of ease and smoothness on the ball I must admit when he first broke through at St Etienne and there were a couple of times at Nice when he looked really clunky um, and it's incredible how 
quickly his passing and his comfort on the ball has come on. Um, like you said, that moment where, yes, he miscontrolled it slightly. Tony was chasing him down. No problem at all. I'll just turn, get my body in the way and spin away from you. There was no panic. And it just, it shows us how far we've come from the days of Mustafi, from Pablo Marie, from players who just didn't have it. And I think what you see there is just pure authority. Um, and I, uh, you know, I'm so pleased for him because this season could have easily been a referendum on how, uh, you know, it could have been side to side, the Saliba side, the Arteta side, but he's put it all to bed. He scored a couple of excellent goals and we're just seeing how rounded his, his game is now. And for me, this trajectory is scary. And He's so young. I think... <laughs> He's so young. And what Clive, I think you mentioned it on the instant reaction. We need him to sign on that dotted line because Mm -hmm. this is going to be a world record fee in a few years if we play our cards right. And I'm so pleased because I've tracked him for a while and I wanted nothing more for him than to succeed here. Uh, And so far, so good. I mean, he's going to make the fee we paid for him look like a pittance when this is all said, well, assuming we get him to sign on the contract, uh, sign on the dotted line. The thing that's crazy is this is a guy who stepped into the blood and thunder and pace and power of the Premier League, and he's passing at 90%. And he's not passing back to Aaron Ramsdale. His number one pass partner in this game was Thomas Partey. He's sidestepping players and passing it forward into the midfield with pace and intention. His other one was was Ben White. I mean, I was nervous because I was sort of like, you know what, this season one of two things is going to happen. Saliba's going to be good, and the Ben White-Saliba wars will be all over again, and people be calling for White to be dropped, or Saliba will be bad, and it'll be all over again. We'll, be de- well, we got the 100 percentile outcome of Saliba being generationally excellent and Ben White looking like one of the best right backs in the league. It's just crazy how well this has worked out. And, I mean, it's it's not happenstance. What happens when you have a lot of talent and good coaching? And, and I mean, Clive, that does lead me to the fact that I, I think the fullbacks in this game were both excellent. I think Kieran Tierney has come in for some criticism, some of which may be deserved, but a lot of which is over the top. And Ben White is keeping Tomiyasu out of the side right now, and I think rightfully so. And there's no there's no stress or drama about this, by the way, right? If Zinchenko or Tomiyasu start, there's no drama or stress about that either. But I, I think that Tierney and White deserve credit, Clive, because I thought they were very good in this game, very important to the game plan in this game. And, you know, they're they're both playing roles that, to some extent, might not be as natural to them. Tierney in sort of the way we're playing and White in terms of being a, a fullback. I know it's nominally a fullback the way we play, but they, they, I thought they were both excellent in this game. Yeah, I, I, it's just a unit, the overall unit. So you look at that back five unit and, you know, if Gabriel gets stretched out, Ben White on the other side just drops in to make an, another central defender, which suits him perfectly. Yeah. If Ben White has to be on the exterior on the right hand side, he can do it. Um, he's, I wouldn't say that's what he would choose that area of the pitch to be in, but his role again is to leave our isolation winger in Saka. Sometimes you see him and you don't want to bring people over with you, you just stand there, underlap him, allow him to wiggle out and go inside to Vieira, Odegaard, or Jesus, for example. So your role becomes quite supportive. If he drops into lane four, then you spin down lane five and you try to take people away with you. It's just it's just a, just a unit thing. Um, I'm a big fan of Ben White. I think we need that player in what I call protecting the moat 
position that wants to step yeah. forward and go and get the ball. Tierney does it, Chinchenko does it. They're counter-press machines, right? Ben White does that when he was at the back and Gabriel was the guy that was sweeping around. So this role does suit him really, really well on the ball and off the ball. And Kieran Tierney, again, I, I said on the podcast, I found myself protecting him. Um, but then again, I protected um, <laughs> Pablo Mari in the past. So so when, once, once they're signed, let's see why we signed them. Right, you know, but Kieran Tierney's a twenty-five million pound cash payment down. Bang, there you go. He's not an idiot. He's captain of his country. All of a sudden, Sinjenko comes in, and we're trying to rubbish him. What are we doing? It's September the twentieth, right? We're going to need it. We're going to need him. Back to the player wars thing that Phil uh, alluded to earlier on, right? What are we doing? Look at what he does. Look at how he can be integrated. And again, what what's happened is suddenly he looks super sharp, isn't he? He's taking shots. He's he's all over the place. He's just and in this game, he set the ball back for Saka shot from centre forward. So that means you telling me he's not bought into what's happening. He's laying the ball off on the penalty spot, but it's just incredible. And so he's he's part of this. So back to Shaka again. Why can't we learn to rotate? Why can't we learn to play in different parts of the pitch? Why can't we learn to use both feet? You know, it's just it's the game, isn't it? And, you know, my my little experience with players is they want to play good football. They generally yeah. want to be part of a team that's playing good football. They generally want to learn new things. They want to be coached. They want to learn new things. They don't want to do what they've always done because they become bored very, very quickly. And so if you meet a coach that's going to detail your game, inspire your game to new levels, inspire you to play in different zones of the pitch and feel comfortable, you're going to grab that all day long. If you want to stand there and be a left back and run up and down the line, well, he's done that all his career. He was a left wing and he was young and hook crosses in. Now he's part of the show, right? Now Ben White's part of the show. Now Grant Shaka's part of the show. And they're all doing things that we weren't accustomed to maybe even three months ago. So mm. we're learning alongside the players, right? So um, so we have to adjust how we judge people. And maybe Gareth Southgate hasn't quite adjusted to what Ben White's doing, you know? And, um, and that's what's happened. He's seeing where he's playing potentially and thinking, I can't pick him. It, it, um, let's not go into the England thing, right? But they need to update please, their coaching. Yeah, please not. <laughs> yeah, they need to update their coaching because some of these players are playing a brand of football, which is beyond the brand of football they're, that they're playing a national team and they're being coached by elite people. And we need to sort that out, right? So, um, hey, let me let me digress. But yeah, I'm just pleased to see players developing in front of our eyes because that means not only are they going to improve, but they can, we're going to be harder to scout, which is very important in this modern age of data analysis and people watching us. So yeah, all good, all good. Yeah, all good. Well said. Um, I I think before we move on from this section, though, and and we still have a couple of things we do need to get to, Phil, let, let's talk about the, the Vieira goal and Vieira in general. I think the Vieira goal leads to the Vieira performance probably being overstated in its excellence. I thought he was just part of the unit, right? He, he kept the ball moving. You know the thing that really stood out to me? Sometimes football is very simple. And one of the keys in football is how quick can you switch flanks, switch the ball to the other side, when teams start to flow to the to where the ball is. And if you can move the ball to the other flank quickly, then you can start to exploit the space. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing from Arsenal, especially in the attacking third, 
is we'll get the ball to White. White will get the ball to Saka. Saka will get the ball to Vieira. Vieira will get the ball to Shaka. Shaka will get the ball to Martinelli. And all of a sudden, we're on the other side. And it all happens one touch first time. The thing that used to drive me nuts with Arsenal for years, for the last several years, two touches, three touches, four touches. Now we're under pressure. Ball goes back to the center back. Or two touches, three touches, four touches. Ball goes to where it's supposed to go. But the the moment has passed. Now, because there's an understanding and the spacing is right and the distances are right, it just gets there. Now, I thought what Vieira did really well in this game wasn't anything brilliant until the goal, which was scintillatingly brilliant. He tried a few really, you know, more aggressive, um, dangerous, hurtful balls. But I think his ability to be in the right space, get the ball, move the ball. You know, and and I think it takes a lot of quality to uncomplicate your game sometimes, right? To know that, I'm in a team that's functioning really well, and I'm going to be a cog in it, not the star in it right away. And I think he balanced that really nicely. So while I don't think this was a star turn until he goes and scores a a worldie, a Galazzo, I think it was a really nice example of a player fitting in and looking like he fits in in a a way that doesn't stand out. And I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, totally. I mean, he wasn't our best player on the day because he didn't need to be. Even though he got Um, man of the match, I think, which was sort of strange, but. Oh, was it? I thought it was Gabriel Jesus that got it. What, was it? Okay, but, I had seen someone um, give it to him. Maybe it was just some random website or something. Okay. Yeah, but I, you know, it's his first Premier League start. He just needed to come in, start to know his, his teammates, develop that relationship with Saka. And to be fair, I know he's the the kind of the Odegaard replacement, but I, mm-hmm. I think they're still different players. I think Fabio Vieira is much more daring and decisive in the final third, whereas Odegaard's much more of a playmaker. He sets the tempo. I think Fabio Vieira has much more to his game in those moments, whether it's a final ball or striking at goal. And I think we mm-hmm. have a nice kind of medium there because he's still tidy. He can still, um, you know, welcome the ball, move the ball, still very technically comfortable. But I just think he provides a little bit more penetration than Odegaard, which is nice because we want the things that he brings we want that those qualities to be replicated, but he also adds something else. Um, and there were just a few moments when you could see him on the edge of the box. I think he, he blazed one over the bar. I think one each, one with his left, one with his right. But I don't mind that. I don't yeah. mind it because sometimes I'm looking at Erdegaard and even this season there's been a couple of examples when you're just like, shoot, shoot, <laughs> shoot, shoot, because not everything needs to be the Ozil perfect pass in front of goal. And I... You know, we're, we're, the best is yet to come. This is just about him getting his fitness, getting his sharpness, understanding his teammates. And for me, it's really interesting to see because he was given a kind of free role at times um, in that kind of flexible front line. And it showed he was playing passes to Ben White on the overlap one second, and then he was drifting mm-hmm. over to the left with Martinelli another. And it's just nice to see players who are comfortable with the ball because yep. too long for too long we've seen people who didn't want it it was like mm. a, a hot potato they didn't want it and now we see players who are comfortable welcoming it in any position on either foot and i just think again we've raised the floor of this team and the best is yet to come yeah and it it's it's repeatably excellent you're dropping in players that aren't starters and it looks the same it's just it's just what you'd want to see from a team you know look I, some people love data and they love to really get into the data. Some people hate data. And I'd like to think that sensible people are able to just synthesize what they see with their eyes with a little bit of data and, and come out with a full picture. But you you know, you do you. But I think this is the point, right? Under 
Unai Emery, I think we had a, what, 22 match on Beaton Street? We talked on this very podcast. The data didn't confirm it. But you know what else didn't confirm it? If we're being honest, the eye test. We knew. You watched the football. You didn't need the data to tell you we were getting by. But it was there. The goal isn't just to get results. It is. But the goal is to play in a way that will likely get you more results. You need to look no further than that other team in North London. I know it's hard to remember that there is one. And the way they're playing and ask yourself, can that sustainably get points? We'll find out. But I look at the way we're playing and I say, if you keep playing this kind of football, more often than not, you'll get the reward. We didn't get the reward against United. Okay, that's going to happen. But we played the way I want us to play. We go play that game again. We'll probably win that game again most of the time. So I, I, I love seeing us not only play football that's repeatably good. You know, that was one of the things. We've all gone through the period where we watch Arsenal. It's about to be kickoff, you guys. And you're like, what are we going to see today? No, no idea. And then an Arsenal comes out of the gate that's just dreadful. And you're like, what is, who is this? What is this? Wake up. Now Arsenal comes out and plays and you're like, yep, that's Arsenal. That's what we do. That's how we look. It is such a nice thing. Clive, one of the side benefits of being 3-0 up is that we got to bring on some subs. And uh, one of the subs we got to bring on, first of all, I mean, we should give Marquinhos a little a little uh, love here. Before we get into one area, I am convinced that what Gabriel Jesus did was commit a foul so that the 15-year-old could get on. God forbid the 15-year-old stands on the touchline, the game ebbs away, and he doesn't get to come on. Everybody knew. I knew it. I thought that's what he's doing. Let's foul this kid. I'm going to get off. The 15-year-old's going to get on. This is going to be a beautiful moment. All the referee has to do is go along with it. But he doesn't go along with it. He gives him a yellow. It's four now. Riding a little bit of a... He's on the razor's edge now for missing a game. And if he gets one in the derby, you know, I don't need to tell you the games that are coming up that he could be missing if if he gets another yellow. So before we talk, Moneri, are are you going to go whiskers with me on the four Jesus yellow cards? Yeah, when well, do these he's things one of reset? the tr- How long do we have to get get him get him by? Does anybody? Well, there's a guy yesterday that mailed us in the end, a guy called Arsenal Scout, and just sort of gave us the data around how many fouls he, how many times he got booked for um, for City versus how many times he's been booked for us in his first seven games. Right, one so, yellow card for City. He's got four already for Arsenal. Are we refereed yeah. differently? You be the judge. Yep. Yeah, and I'm I'm ready to go down those conspiracy theories. Yep, I'm I'm going down that road. Darn but right. <laughs> but yeah, we we have we're still changing perceptions. You know, we're still we still we have to keep playing well. I'm afraid because people still think we're going to get bullied at Brentford. Well, that's we all know that's not going to happen, right? And that's been confirmed. So we're still changing perceptions. We're still the team that has more, the most yellow versus the tackles that we commit. You know, we, we just have to change this, right? Everyone thinks Grand Shackles is going to get sent off every other game. It's, it's down to us to to change this by winning games like that continuously live on TV, then things will change and we'll start to get the benefit of doubt that other teams do get in those scenarios, right? So, so yeah, Jesus, he's one of the transformational players, so we need we need him in it, don't we? We need him. And um, I don't know if you want me to go into a young kid already. To go straight yeah, sure. That. I'll I'll just say this. I think we got to get 19 games according to Phil before this resets. So, just looking at our fixtures, he's got to get through the Spurs game without a yellow. Then he gets to play the home game against Liverpool, which we desperately yeah. need him for that. So we, you know, we got to get him through the, the derby. Then it's Leeds away, Southampton away, Forest at home, 
So, and, and then Chelsea away before the EFL Cup. So what I would say is, if he's going to get one, he can get it in the City game, uh, I'm, pardon me, in the, in the Liverpool game and miss Leeds away if he has to. He can get it in the Leeds game and miss Southampton away. He can't get it in the Derby. That, that's, that's just the key. I was kind of hoping the EFL Cup might be sooner because I think they actually count in that, but um, unfortunately that's not going to be the case. So, yeah, go Wait, ahead on Ranieri, please. Yeah, well, um, yeah, you know what? I'm not worried know about it. I, we know JJ is his top, right? But, mate, just go out against Spurs and give you everything. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of the rest. We can't be having, we can't be tiptoeing around Spurs and letting them walk How out about of this? our stadium. Don't, when, you've, when he scores his hat trick, don't get a yellow for taking your shirt off. Can we agree yeah. on that? Yeah, we can agree on that. But let's not tippy toe around them lot. We got we got a job to do there. That's that's point one. Mm-hmm. And um and with the young with the young lads, so when he's when he's kicked off, I as I, I, I said on the instant reaction, there's a few people that mentioned him to me, and I sort of just thought another young player. Didn't really look into it too much. Thought yeah, another young player looks all right. The Hale End. Um, documentaries on the other day I, I didn't even quite see him on there i saw other people on there i didn't we didn't i didn't see him on there for money to you but some people i respect sort of said clive watch out for him watch out for him i thought okay well, i'll start watch out for him <laughs> so onto youtube yeah. <laughs> onto youtube suddenly he's in the squad i'm thinking bloody hell they were right about this guy but i'm thinking you know what we've got a few injuries they're bringing up lino so so by the way is a good player a really good mm-hmm. player and Marquinhos, who I think we could be sleeping on, because I think he's going to be absolutely excellent. You know, and I'm thinking this kid's literally come along to carry the oranges. He's in the squad, gets a gets a number, and then he comes on. And so one part of me thinking, I got I got a couple of angles on this, Elliot. You you could think it was slightly disrespectful if you're a Brentford fan to bring on a kid, right? There's that angle. The se- the second angle is. That's a fantastic message to the academy or the players that are within it. If there are other players on the edge of leaving, like Amari Hutchinson did this year, and they, even though he's a Surrey boy and Chelsea was, is local to him, and I think that sort of makes a bit more sense. I can see that. Um, but Marquinhos comes in, you're thinking, what's what's what does this mean for me? And so maybe that was something that happened. But there are other talents in that academy, and that are exceptional. And if this is a message to them, well, what a great message that is. But also the, the, the Elliot side of me comes up, and I said the instant reaction, the worrying side is, do we feel we need to do this because we're worried about him being picked off by Liverpool, shall we say? You know, and um, the, another young player they stole from Fulham and Harvey Elliot in very similar circumstances. And, okay, this kid is a London boy, been with us since he's eight, nine years of age. I hope he wants to stay. Um, but I worry also that we could be we could be looking after him, shall we say, making sure he realises how serious we are because we recognise the talent. If you're wondering how good he is, I've done some research since. He's well-respected on the England track, played England under-16, under-17s. If you're looking at him, looking at his physicality and wondering where he's going to be. He's 15 years of age. You're going to laugh at me, Phil, but I always do stuff like this. <laughs> look at the, if you look at the size of his feet, right, he's not finished growing yet. When you're growing, your feet grow first. He's got the big, thick... It's like dogs. Nike you ever seen a puppy? Yeah. Puppy with yeah, the huge feet? He's got the, <laughs> he's got the big, thick Nike Tiempo wide foot boots on. This kid's going to grow. He's going to be absolutely 
decent. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's going to be decent. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go too big because I don't, I don't think it's fair. But there's it's more to That's, come. Yeah, it's more to come. You know, the Arsenal are not dumb. They're not. They see no. lots of talents come through their hands. If they've done this, they've done this for a reason. They're the experts at projecting. I'm just a bloke on t- on a podcast, but you know, I'm telling you, they're not stupid. What's your space? No, in, I, that's what I'm going to say. There's there's so many little layers to this. I thought Arteta's comments were interesting. He said I hadn't met him much. I didn't really know him. Met saw him in training, and he just popped into his head. I had the idea that if I get the chance, I'm going to do it, and the opportunity came. He's he's a player that constantly plays above his age group. I mean, the last time you saw something like this. Jack Wilshire and Seth Fabregas come to mind in terms of jumping their levels of, of academy, right? There may have been one or two others also, but I think more because of their physicality than their talent. Um, Lot, lots but, do it, Elliot. Lots do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they test you at 14, 15, see if you can play 18, because that's what you need to do. So lots do it. They do it sometimes. They push you up so you don't get bad habits playing amongst your own age group because group, mm, you find it too yeah. easy. So this is a this is almost like a reward. And lots of academy kids want to play up. They see that as a form of success. You're playing up, you're going to get a scholarship, right? That's what they're after. And so playing up is a is a good thing, right? So, and for some people, they play you down because you're physically not able to manage your age group, but you're technically supreme. So when the puberty kicks in, then you can go back up to your age group. That's what players do. That's what, sorry, clubs do to look after player welfare and not just dismiss them because you're not big enough because many players come through later on. But this guy yeah. is interesting. It- this level of jump is big, and that mm-hmm. makes me, my eyebrows raise up. Uh, this is not normal, is what I'm trying to say. It's not just fan hype, too. I mean, granted, Shaka said this. This, you know, he sees him versus the other academy players. We got a pretty good academy, and he's like, and he's he's different. He's better, basically. I mean, Shaka doesn't pull his punches with anything. Um, yeah, I mean, and if he's anything like me, when he hits puberty at twenty and springs up to five foot eight, he's going to be something special. Um, Phil, there's a couple layers here, though. Just one is the cynic in you could say this is done for a reason. We got to keep this player. We got to keep a lot of players. We got to be a destination. We just lost Amari Hutchinson. Now, granted, there may be some, you know, agent tomfoolery there. He goes to a club where I don't think he's going to see a path to football there either. But Arsenal need to show that this is the place for young talent to be. And a 15-year-old getting on in in a Premier League game, I think that's going to go a long way to helping that kid decide that his future should be at Arsenal and maybe helping other kids decide. So, do you have any cynicism? I mean, I don't think it was done cynically, by the way. That's not my point, but not cynicism is too strong a word, but just maybe shrewdness of this move to tactically be thoughtful about managing his future, keeping the young talent we have, and making sure we don't have more Amari Hutchinson type situations. Yeah, definitely. I think this this substitution and his inclusion in the in the match they squad hit a few boxes. Um it's on a smaller scale, it's it's sending a message to the player um, saying, look, we notice you, we see you, we like you, and and we want you in this environment for, for the future. This is what you can expect from the future. We want you to learn here and be with us and, and thrive with us. So it shows that they're taking care of his development. On a wider scale, it shows that Hayland graduates have a chance to play for Arsenal in the first team. So that's the second point. It shows that we're continuing the Bakayo Sakas, the Eddie Nketiahs, the Emil Smith Rows. And if you want to leave like Omari Hutchinson, you can do it. But you cannot say that there's not a path for you here. So that was another message. And 
thirdly, it also kept, it showed awareness from Mikel Arteta about what's happening at Arsenal. It, this kind of, Arsenal are known for bringing young players through and the good feeling, the mood around the club, the general direction that fans now understand this, this substitution was just another, another little pointer to say, look, let's keep the feel good factor going. We're playing well. And yet we still have time to bring on a 15 year old. Mm. Um, And for me, I think Clive made a good point. I think what is telling about his talent is, is the ability to jump. And I, I've watched bits and pieces of Nwaneri, but I've also seen bits of Warren Zaire Emery. He's a player for PSG who is now in the first team at 16 years old, right? And he has a similar build, strong, technically strong, um, can hold his own physically, but PSG were desperate not to lose him. And they gave him a big contract mm. because too many times in that club, they've lost players. I mean, if you if you see the players they've lost in that academy, you would be pulling your hair out. So I think it's just another reminder to the player that we are watching to Hale End that there's opportunities for you here. And in general, we understand the talent. There's opportunities for you here. And we know that Arsenal are strong on youth tradition. So I understand what the fans want, what the club wants. And I just think in that little substitution, in that little match day inclusion, Arteta hit a lot of boxes. And I think it shows a manager who's very aware of what he's doing at the moment. Well said. Last thing, we're not going to get too deep into it because there's going to be time to get deep into it. The Derby is next. Clive, I, I mean, I I somehow have a set of Twitter mentions that are full of Spurs fans. It I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's, it's as fun as it sounds. But look, they're unbeaten. They have attacking talent that can get them out of a lot of trouble. I watched them play, as dumb as that may sound. I don't see it with them. I don't see something that can accrue. I mean, do I think they can finish top four playing the way they, they do? Yeah, yeah, of course they do. They did last season. I think they can again. I think there's a ceiling on that style of football. I think it is an interesting contrast to styles, though, because we're going to go try to be Arsenal. We're going to try to push them back. We're going to try to have all the ball in the final third. They're going to let us do that. We know they're going to let us do that because they've done it all season. They're not going to have any of the ball. I mean, this could be a 70% possession derby. This could be a 70% final third possession derby. But what they can do going the other direction is unique. And I'm wondering how you view that. Because if we if we win this game playing the way we play, I think it is a referendum on the fact that our way of playing is the right way. If we don't win this game playing the way we play, there's going to be a lot of people chirping about, oh, you can have all the ball, but it's about scoring the goals and winning. And and I just, I really hope that the the good football wins the day because it deserves to, you know? Yeah, I've, do you want to go? I've, I've been thinking about Spurs already. So Spurs, Spurs have got a few of their issues. They're not sure whether to pay a, a, a two or three in midfield and play two strikers because they're getting dominated in midfield. That's why they, that's why they're playing deeper. It's been hidden by the fact that they score goals on occasion, shall we say? And they got a couple of good goal scorers. I think Kulisewski has been a raise of plus to them. I wanted them with us actually, and I think that was a miss. And so good player. Um, Charlton has come in. He's quite lively. I'm not sure he fits, but he forced Son to the sideline. Son came on. Hattrick, thank you very much. They don't like Emerson Royale. They want him gone. But I think Doherty can't get in, and and Jeff Spence, I don't think Conti likes. 
So Emerson's playing every minute of every game. So I know where I'd be going. I'd be going straight at him. And hopefully they play a fat, a flat two in midfield, a couple of wardrobes that they normally do. And we can take them, we can take them over. Um, I think it's, I've been worried about Spurs, not because I worry about them losing a game to them. I'm worried about them because I think this year, this year, this season is different. And let me just think this one through with you guys on live and direct, really. Hmm. I think it's a unique year with the World Cup and teams who are functional that don't put much effort into accumulating points may have a chance this year to do more. I can hear your brain ticking over and saying, Clive, they can't sustain whether how many times we're in the final third and score the amount of goals they're doing. And you're probably right. But functional teams that have a base level that when we're going to be playing every three or four days, in a year when Liverpool are losing themselves a little bit, in a year where Man City look fantastic, but their squad is smaller than ours, a couple of key injuries, they could soon rock around. That boring, functional team that plays all their automatic movements in a back five, nicking their one nils. Don't don't dismiss it, mate. Don't dismiss it. This year is completely different. Sustainability with less emotion is what I'm looking for. And I thought we had that at the weekend. I thought that was a cruise. I want a few more like that. That is that is the yeah. end for me. But don't the dismiss least tense away matches I can remember in a long time. A, a long time. Don't dismiss the ugly team that doesn't deserve to win and is still winning, particularly when we come back after the World Cup and we don't know what we're going to see. Right? So I'm not prepared yeah. to dismiss them yet, although I can't wait to do it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and I guess the counter to that, I would just say, is that their football is dependent on really elite, let's call it elite, I hate to do it, but it is really elite forward talent taking advantage of the moments they generate. Their XG difference, right, expected goals for versus expected goals against, is very respectable, actually. But it's a fourth-place expected goal difference. Our expected goal difference is a title expected goal difference, or thereabouts. So what I'm saying is, I'm not saying they're bad. They're playing a level of football that I think can and probably will get them fourth place again. The question is, can we be better than that? Does our style of football have a higher ceiling? And, and I think the frustrating thing about Spurs is Spurs are going to win big games because the big teams that really take it to them, that really push resources into their defensive third, are going to get turned around and scored on by their really elite counterattacking talent. I just think they're going to have too many days where they don't get the 1-0, they get the 0-0, or they get the 1-1. Because a team that concedes that much de- defensive third possession and has that little attacking third possession is going to have days where it doesn't happen for them, where their elite talent doesn't make the difference. So... I'm not dismissing their top four bid. I'm dismissing anything beyond that. But we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I, I do think also they are so dependent on two players in particular that if they were to be without either of those two players, I think for any stretch of time, I don't know that it's. I don't know that this house of cards can stay up. But we'll see. I, I, I'll yeah, mm-hmm. Clive. <laughs> now you got me thinking about Spurs, right? So they've got issues with Romero playing at the back. I mean, he, he's an injury issue. Lloris is an injury issue. I'm not a fan he's of Davies. He's getting away with it. Um, Perisic mm-hmm. is 86, right? It can deliver a good ball, but eventually people are going to... There are issues for them all over the pitch, right? But they're still up there by doing very, very little and not playing well. And so, Elliot, I know you've taught me a lot about data and how to interpret it. And I'm hoping for once you are absolutely right, right on this they one. They have some decent data, too, though. Worried. Just to be clear, 
they're, you know, from an expected goal standpoint, they look okay. I, I do think, to your point, though, they're weak. I don't think they're particularly strong defensively. I'd be curious when a good team, a.k.a. us, sits in their defensive third for 70% of the game. Does it look savvy and smart? We're just playing counterattacking? Or does it look like a team waiting to get battered? And I, I obviously have my preference. Um, let's leave it there. Actually, no, not fair to Phil. Phil, I can't, I can't do a whole Derby section. Not like at least have a word. You want to have a final word on <laughs> on the contrasting styles because I think the narrative, the people that love narrative, are going to be desperate after that game to be able to say, "Oh, Arsenal talk about the pretty football, but it's effective football that matters." I don't particularly think Spurs play effective football, and I, I'm really hopeful that the better football I think we play gets rewarded for that. Well, this is, this is no surprise to anyone that's watched Antonio Conte's teams before. I mean, when he won the league at Chelsea, it was just Cesc Fabregas putting balls over the top to Diego Costa. That was it. And, and some magic from Eden Hazard in between. Then at Inter, it was them trying to get the ball to Romelu Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez as much as possible. They just He just puts the structure around his best players and lets them lets them do their thing which is not dumb yeah. you know obviously <laughs> it's not dumb because in Harry Kane, Hyun Son, maybe Kulusevski's following them slightly they've got like that 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 hat trick that Son scores on the weekend how many premier league players can do that with both feet not many Mm-mm. not many um and Erling Holland no, would do it from the halfway line, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, say, that's it from the six-yard line, I think, not yeah, from the halfway fair, yeah. line. Um, but it's they know what their strengths are and they lean into it, which at the end of the day is is simple coaching, but it's done well. And I agree with Clive. They've got issues and we can get at them. And it's nice because I feel comfortable enough in what we've done to expect us to go there and impose ourselves without being stupid like we were last time. Um having Rob Holding defending acres of space. Now we've got William Saliba there and Ben White there. They can run. Cedric and Rob Holding, we had them there last time. They can't run. It's not difficult. Um, And I just feel a lot more comfortable in what we've got to be able to go there and get a result. Last year, we were down to the bare bones with players that we didn't want playing and you could see the collapse coming from a mile away. Um, this mm-hmm. year, I don't see it. Yes, we had some difficult moments at Old Trafford with some naive defending in big spaces, but hopefully they'll learn from that. Their two danger men are the ones that need to be stopped. Let's stop them. I think we also get a little luck with the fact that Gabriel Jesus isn't going off with Brazil. Martinelli, not going off with Brazil. Gabriel Magalhaes, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll have a few players. Ben White. Okay, yeah, Ben White, exactly. So time for Arteta to prepare on the training ground. Let's leave it there. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil. Thank you very much. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's like uh, deja vu. Uh, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, we will be doing a rewatch over on the Patreon side, so I hope you'll join us for that. And then all the usual nonsense we do over there as well. But if you don't want to be over there, just be over here. We love you, and we're so happy you're here. By the way, uh, I think finalists are being announced for the Football Content Awards. I believe we are among them for uh, Best Premier League Podcast. So we'll be giving you are some we? information wow. on voting for that in the future. And uh, you know, we want to defend the title in this era, this new title-winning era of Arsenal. We want to all be title winners. So thank you to everyone who voted. You're just the best. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. We love you so much. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Tottenham 0.